0: Hello, hello, hello. I'm Jan Goldstein, and this is All That Matters. Oh, wonderful to have you here. I have a question for you. What is the price we pay for love? The price we pay for love. It's certainly coming up this week, as it comes up many weeks. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in to all that matters for telling others about it and if you see a spot on your podcast page where it says to leave uh, an opinion I hope you'll like the podcast I hope perhaps you'll write in uh, uh, a brief note there as always I uh, also appreciate uh, any of your letters or connections or communications at www.jangoldstein.com uh, where you'll uh, find my books, my novels, my non-fiction books, and my podcast as well. And, um, well, we certainly are at a very particular moment in history for Queen Elizabeth II has just died. And it, of course, made me think a great deal as I watched... Uh, Many, many people, of course, who never met her, but who were touched by the length of her monarchy, by her loyalty and duty and dedication and example, and uh, were deeply touched by grief, Uh, clearly, that there's a true loss there. And it got me thinking about grief and loss altogether. Um, I certainly think about the fact that in our family, I was the one who was present um, in the hospital room when my father died, our father um, and that moment of um, it's a strange thing it was a moment of uh, of extreme loss, yes, but I remember this feeling moved over me as my father turned his face towards the light it was right at dawn of a of day and took his last breath and i remember the light on his face and the feeling of great um, appreciation and gratitude um that i was there with him at that moment of course i couldn't have been there at the moment of his birth But I was there at the moment he took his last breath. And the gratitude I had for his life, uh, as sad a moment as it was for sure. So um, I remember then the grief set in, then the sense of loss. I was also the one there in the room when my mother died. as Just as fortune and... um, the way life turns out, it just so happened that I was staying with her in the room. I, we had decided that I would stay overnight. It was my turn to, you know, it's that we were all sort of on, on a vigil. Um, my brothers and my sister and I, and, um, and I happened to be there uh, once again in the early morning when she took her last breath. And I give thanks for that. Um, I give thanks to have had the opportunity to be there for my parents who I love so dearly and then to be joined of course by my sister and brothers and as we move through the grief and the loss um, there are a mix of emotions and it's certainly what on a much larger scale is what's going on in the world right now with the loss of the Queen. Uh, who lived a full life and let us give thanks for a a full life lived. And I have to say, in talking about these things this week, I don't usually talk about grief and loss, and I don't usually talk about death. But a dear friend, Francine, who I consider like a a wonderful older sister to me, and not much older, and um, just always sort of looked up to her and she said you know maybe a podcast on loss and on death Um, she's been telling me for some time and this just seemed the moment I do want to say that loss comes in all shapes and sizes you know it's not the same for each or at every age because as Mark Twain noted nothing that grieves us can be called little by the external laws of proportion a child's loss of a doll and a king's loss of a crown are events of the same size. Interestingly, he refers to a monarch there, but that's true. As a child, we may lose something that adults may think is not a big deal. And yet that sense of loss produces great, at least momentary grief within a child. And as we grow into the fullness of who we're going to be, we also recognize that our connections to things grows both more important and at the same time um, tenuous in places. Um, when I was in training years ago to counsel people in my rabbinic studies, um, I I was confronted with a situation that I learned from. I did a, a terrible job, um, I must say. In hindsight, in other words, I didn't know um, how to be and how not to be. I was learning, um, and it's so interesting. I'm hearing my dog barking in the in the um, in the background. Not sure you hear it, but it's a reminder to me also of the dogs that Elizabeth II so treasured her corgis and how precious it was and getting back to my story I was in training of counseling and I was serving in a role at at a home for the aged um, for a year's internship where I would go and celebrate with them and be involved with activities and so forth and there was a woman who had always Been there in the front row whenever I came. Loved hearing me speak. Loved uh, having me um, um, celebrate with with them. Always had a big smile on her face. But one week I showed up and she wasn't there. And on my walk home, I remember being surprised because she certainly lived there. I asked about her and they said, oh, she had other plans that day. I said, okay. And as I walked home, I saw a figure from far off, it's inconceivable, but I can see it like it was yesterday, Uh, a figure jumping, kind of leaping or hurtling forward off of a curb into the street where a car was racing towards me. I was walking one direction, the car was coming towards me, and in between us was this figure that was had willed herself into the street and f- fallen onto the pavement. And I raced up just as the car stopped inches from her head. And I pulled her out from underneath that car. And it was this woman. It was this woman. It was Ruby. And she looked at me and she said, you... And there was a look like a child who was caught doing something wrong on her face. And she was much, much older than me, quite elderly. And I said, what are you doing, Ruby? And it was obvious what she was doing. And it wasn't a case of dementia. She had chosen to do this. I eventually got her back to the home for the aged and... Over the course of the next couple of weeks, I came to visit her, and every time I came to visit her, I talked to her about, oh, how we can't wait to get you back when we celebrate in the other room and when we do our act- activities and how much she's loved and how much I missed her, and she sat there rather sullenly, and I tried to elicit some response from her, kept giving her these pep talks. And eventually, she asked me not to come back. And eventually... She rolled herself up into a fetal position, and she died. When I was working with the psychologist in the hospital and talking through my experience, he said something very interesting. He said, tell me again what you told her. And I said, well, I I told her all about how we love her and about life and celebration and and." and what did she want to talk about? I said, what? What did she want to talk about? And he explained to me. And I said, I, he said, what was she doing? I said, she was trying to die. So she was trying to die, but you were talking to her about life. Where's the disconnect there? He said, Jan, you need to talk to people where they are not where you want them to be. And it was an incredible explosion in my head and in my heart. But of course, she was done with life. And she had chosen that it was her time. And yes, she chose a very strange way to try to go out. But I remember the tremendous sense of loss, even in a moment like that, And sadly, some of us uh, who are listening right now have dealt with suicide, myself included, people we know uh, who we're close to. And that is a whole other issue, but it still fills us with a grief and a loss. And it is Queen Elizabeth II who made it very clear to us What price we pay for love. That is her quote when she lost her husband last year. And she said, quote, grief is the price we pay for love. Elizabeth Gilbert said, deep grief sometimes is almost like a specific location, a coordinate on a map of time. When you are standing in that forest of sorrow, you cannot imagine that you could ever find your way to a better place. But if someone can assure you that they themselves have stood in that same place and now have moved on, sometimes this will bring hope. Yes, even in our tears, we search for hope. It was Shakespeare who said, tears water our growth. And so, in moments like the one I shared with you, in which I could not comprehend how someone's life had added up to death and that this was a choice she was making or in the fullness of our experience when people die naturally as has happened yesterday with the Queen of England, we are in all circumstances struck with grief and with loss. You know... There was a wonderful play that was turned into a film in 1993 called Shadowlands, um, based on the play by William Nicholson. And the entire story is based on the true story of British professor and writer C.S. Lewis, of course, the Tales of Narnia, um, and Jewish-American poet Joy Davidman's Friendship, Love, and Brief Marriage. It was based... On that, and she died from cancer only four years after they were married. And there was this amazing exchange when they're on holiday during her remission from cancer. But the understanding that she will die is coloring the trip for Lewis, uh, who was played by uh, Anthony Hopkins in the in the film. He was terrific. Uh, whose nick- nickname, the character of C.S. Lewis, his nickname is Jack. And he's grieving already, knowing that she has cancer or that she is probably going to die, certainly at some point in the future. He's already standing there grieving. And she says, Joyce says, it's not going to last, Jack. Jack says, we shouldn't think about that now. Let's not spoil the time we have together, even though he's already spoiling it by the way he's acting. She says, no, it doesn't spoil it. It makes it real. Let me just say it before this rain stops and we go back. And Jack goes, what is there to say? And he's obviously just beside himself with grief while she's standing there in front of him. And she says, what is there to say that I'm going to die? And and I I want to talk about it now, she says. And Jack says, I'll manage somehow. Don't worry about me. And she takes his hands and says the following, and it impacted me. Perhaps it will have an impact on you. No. I think it can be better than just managing. What I'm trying to say is that the pain then is part of the happiness now. That's the deal. The pain then is part of the happiness now. That's the deal. When we talk about death... And we feel the grief and loss. It is because of the love that we have created. The foundation of that love. And yes, grief and loss can be very hard. Whatever the circumstances of death are. And yet, it was in the simplicity of that moment. The pain then when you're thinking ahead to someone who's going to die, as we all are, you say the pain then is part of the happiness now, that we got to have that happiness, that the royal family got to have a queen like they had, that the country got to have a queen who was loyal and helped sustain them in moments of great trial and error that you perhaps are thinking of someone right now who you is no longer here in body, but they are here in spirit. It says in an old Chinese proverb, you cannot prevent the birds of sorrow from flying over your head, but you can prevent them from building nests in your hair. So, as Queen Elizabeth says, grief is the price we pay for love. But as no less a character than Winnie the Pooh said, how lucky I am to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard. Yes, saying goodbye can be hard. As Helen Keller said, the best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart. We feel the grief now. But in the words of a Hebrew proverb, say not in grief, he or she is no more. But live in thankfulness that he was. That she was. I end with that gratitude. Until next week, share in the price we pay for love and do not fail to continue to love. This is Jan Goldstein and we've been talking about all that matters. Mm